Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dual Access Podcast, where I delve into the minds of business leaders and influential people in data. Today, I'm chatting with Youssef Botros. Youssef has been a retail veteran turned entrepreneur. He's here to show how you can scale your business with purpose, passion, and process. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. I'm glad to be here. We're going to start back. I, I was reading through your bio uh, on your website, and really, really interesting. You went from kind of basically just a salesperson, more or less, into mm -hmm. helping create a company that then got sold for lots of money, it sounded like. Uh, and then you've kind of taken your experiences there and uh, gone full circle into an entrepreneur, uh, to becoming an entrepreneur. So starting out in retail, um, can you walk us through your early years in retail and what uh, what skills you think set you apart at the time? I always loved dealing with customers when I was uh, working in retail. Um, so, I mean, straight out of high school, I worked in, you know, a few clothing shops and um, uh, what I really landed on was the cell phone and the wireless market. Mm -hmm. So I sell, I was selling phones and plans to people who were looking to either upgrade or maybe switch companies. And I really loved dealing with all kinds of people that, as you know, here in Canada, the addressable market for smartphones and, and pretty much anywhere in the world is it's pretty much everybody who has a smartphone nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there wasn't any particular kind of client who walked in. We, you just dealt with lots of different personalities and they all have different needs. And I think that's kind of where I started to develop my sales skills, because depending on who walked in the door, you always had to present the solutions in a different way based on the needs of that client. Right. Um, so I think that gave me a lot of exposure and mental flexibility in dealing <laughs> with um, different people and how they responded to the solutions that you provided. Okay. Yeah, I, I always kind of dread going past a mobile phone store now because uh, they're <laughs> they're almost they're almost like trying to wave you in, like oh, just leave me alone. I'll just do it online. Yeah, yeah. but they yeah. do tend to be very helpful, but it just gets a bit intimidating at, at first. Yeah. For sure. And and fr from what I've read, you all, you've always had a passion for for training and self development. How important yeah. has that been in your journey? Uh, it's been monumental for me. Um, from the early days on in the, you know, the, the cell phone and wireless world training was a really big part of, um, the development that, uh, we were put through in all of the companies that I've worked at. Mm -hmm. So we would get, uh, different carrier phone reps to come in and train us on the latest smartphones that were arriving or the different promotions that they were having, uh, in that season. And sometimes we actually got sent to uh, you know, different cities sometimes and conferences to learn about all of these things. Uh, you know, in Canada, they companies invest a lot of money into uh, their people. So training has always been something that has been very interesting for me. It really captivated me because I remember even some specific people who have trained me, who just the moment that they started speaking, they they just locked your attention. You know, and they were such great presenters. Uh, it was a performance almost. And the knowledge that they were sharing was also extremely useful because it wasn't necessarily about the phones or the plans, but really how to sell, how to be persuasive, how to uh, be great at customer service. Uh, and I think, you know, from that time on, I became really interested in sales, 
dealing with people. I mean, you can see all of the books that I have here. <laughs> Even before I met Dan Martell, I was a really big fan at uh, um, big fan of nonfiction books. So I just tried to get my hands on anything I could. And sharing knowledge is it's it's kind of part of my identity. I love learning new things. I will, uh, you know, occasionally go into the YouTube black hole to learn about, I don't know, the Mexican running tribe uh, so that I can get better at my marathon, you know, like, Oh yeah. The barefoot tribe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in sharing knowledge and my old boss from mobile clinic used to say, you know, knowledge that is not shared is wasted. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've been, that's exactly how I've built my reputation is through sharing stuff kind of freely and um, hoping that someday that will come back to me and help me in, you know, as I start my own business. Um, sure will. So you then transitioned onto Wind Mobile and mm -hmm. there you became the general manager. Is that correct? Do I have that correct? The chronology of that? That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I was hired as the GM for uh, a franchisee. Okay. Uh, somebody who I worked for before we have a, I mean, even still, we have a great working relationship. And in fact, uh, he's one of my business partners now. And uh, at the time, we, I mean, we still have three large companies here in Canada that uh, pretty much dominate the cell phone market. Wind was one of those companies that came in uh, about, about 2009 or 2010 and uh, at the time they were pitching, you know, unlimited service, which was like unheard of. Yeah. You know, you were always capped for the amount of usage that you had. Um, so I loved everything that they stood for, you know, unlimited usage, no contract. You come to us because you want to, not because you're forced to stay. Right. Right. Um, and when I learned a little bit more about the company and the opportunity, I just couldn't say no. Uh, and so I uh, helped uh, that franchisee kind of expand the business. Um, so I'd hired all the people, configured the systems that we had, we, you know, uh, and it was really my first real uh, chance to expand a business and, and, and really like lead it in a sense. Like we had all of the material. So we already had a preset, um, you know, uh, a pre or a variety of services and uh, products that we were selling, mm -hmm. but all of the things around the customer experience and the training, uh, was something that was up to me. And I, I really loved that experience. Yeah. So you got a lot of experience then, I guess, learning how to scale a franchise. Yeah. Um, what were some of the earliest challenge, earliest and biggest challenges when you were learning how to scale a franchise? Cause I, you'd never done it before that, right? No, never. Um, one of the bigger challenges was, which I think a lot of retail professionals or business owners will have is uh, finding good people. Um, and especially nowadays, uh, you know, post COVID, uh, the need to find quality uh, employees, I think has, uh, has risen significantly. Mm -hmm. um, and work is, you know, just, just because you have a competitive salary, uh, doesn't mean that you're gonna find the best people. Work needs to be, I think, a little bit more meaningful. And I think it always was, but COVID just brought that out into the spotlight. Yeah. Um, so finding good people was a pretty big challenge for me. And that's kind of when I started to develop my own hiring process for how I find, you know, the best people. And, um, you know, what I typically do is just begin with the end in mind. I always think about, you know, if I could have the perfect employee, like what would that person be like, uh, aside from this? 
job skills that they need to have. Uh, people come with personalities and motivations and goals, and, and nobody is the same as the next. So if I really wanted to, the right person who's going to be dealing with the customer, who is the face of this company, you know, what would that person need to be like? Um, so it was pretty interesting, uh, you know, going through that and doing all of the interviews, the reference checks, the, uh, is a pretty big challenge, but I learned so much about, um, just kind of starting with the right team in the first place to propel all of your other business objectives mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. What was the hardest thing that you were doing to give up to some of these employees you hired? Um, probably my time. Uh, it, it, it is, you know, if you want to hire the right person from the get-go, you have to invest a lot of time in, uh, defining that person, like the, the ideal person doing the interviews, doing the reference checks. So like, it was a pretty significant toll on the time, but I, I viewed it more as an investment because when you put in that time, usually the people that you hire are extremely high quality. Um, and they typically tend to stay for a long time as well, because, um, they are kind of also interviewing you. Uh, so if doing it right, <laughs> if you're doing it right, exactly. So, um, whenever I found somebody who, uh, really fit the job, I always tried to make sure that, uh, they were going to feel well supported and, and happy at work and, and things like that. Because I think that also affects performance, uh, directly. It's just not as measurable as, you know, uh, as a pay rate, for example, yeah. but that definitely took a big toll on my time. And I think training as well, uh, takes a lot of time, but if you do it right, it's an investment and not an expense. Yeah. So, so after, after win mobile, I think you went into financial print, financial planning briefly before coming back to, um, uh, to, to start, I believe, um, uh, mobile, mobile clinic, which is yeah. a, just like it sounds, it's a, mobile clinic <laughs> and uh you ended up um you kind of rejoined with your former boss do i have that right that's right so the person who hired me at uh, wind mobile uh hired me at mobile clinic and i okay. and i left uh the wind franchisee because i just kind of had hit a ceiling in my career and sure. um i could couldn't really move up because i was already like the general manager Right. Um, so it was, I don't know, it's a, a bit, a little bit of soul searching, just trying to figure out where I belonged in the professional world. And, uh, I had an opportunity to restart a career in financial planning. So I would told myself, okay, well, time for a big boy job. And I moved to <laughs> Montreal and I left, uh, my network. And, uh, you know, during that year and a half, I was, I was good at what I did, but I just feel maybe the, the subject matter wasn't, uh, as sexy as I wanted it to be. Like, right. wasn't exciting. Yeah. I mean, taxes are, it's a pretty dry subject. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, I did reconnect with the person who had hired me, um, at mobile clinic one day I was walking in the mall and, and, uh, I just happened to run into him. We had coffee and he told me that, uh, he wanted to partner up with the former CEO of wind when I, when I was working there mm -hmm. and they wanted to partner up and, and develop a concept here in Canada for same day smartphone repair, okay. which like didn't really exist at the time. Uh, at least if you tried to think about who would fix your phone, you, you couldn't think of anybody. Right. And I thought that was a pretty interesting concept because it wasn't just a, um, 
it, it wasn't just a cool business. You were essentially changing the direction of an entire industry. Mm. Like that's what it meant to me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, five months later, I signed my contract. Yeah. And it sounds like you did exactly what any entrepreneur should do. You find a pain point and you try to solve it. Right. So exactly. Happened to be the first one there, you know, and then, but then you helped them expand to over 90 locations in, in about six years. Yeah. What were some of the key strategies that, uh, that you used to help scale so rapidly? So um, I, I have a pretty good knack for uh, looking into the future and anticipating problems or any operational friction that we might encounter when scaling the business. So I would say um, to answer your question, some of the challenges in scaling were, were training for sure. Because when we first started, um, I mean, it was just me and uh, I would have to train in person. Um, and eventually we developed SOPs, but at some point SOPs aren't enough. Uh, you need a little bit more material and material that's engaging mm -hmm. to get people to learn, um, the, you know, the massive complexities of the job. Uh, we hired people who had no cell phone repair experience at all. And to go from that to learning, uh, everything there is to know, or at least having exposure to everything in a matter of two weeks, you got a lot of, you have to fit a lot of material um, into that mm -hmm. time. So we went from SOPs to a full standardized uh, training class, which was like an intensive two weeks. Yeah. Um, we uh, also developed a, a store opening checklist and like a schedule. So we were op able, like from the moment that I got the keys from the contractor we were able to uh, set up uh, the entire store, receive all of our stock, and uh, basically open within a matter of two days. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of work that was already uh, done prior right. to that, right? But eventually, um, we kind of got a formula down where, yeah, you would open, be able to open up a store in two days. Sometimes, um, I mean, even during COVID, we were opening locations, mm -hmm. uh, but we physically could not get on a plane and go there. So <laughs> I remember during one of our store openings was in Newfoundland, um, and we had nobody from head office uh, go to help the staff open. Mm -hmm. So we had to figure out a way to teach people what to do and in what step, like in what order. Mm -hmm. uh, in order to open a store successfully. Uh, so as you grow, you start, you know, just developing uh, or like, you know, your checklists, uh, they just keep getting better and better. So when you continuously fall on the same tools and you're, you're always looking for improvements, um, I think that helps uh, a lot. Uh, but definitely scaling, you know, we were just also open three or four locations at a time in different parts of the country. Wow. Right. Yeah. So uh, it, it really depends on the need, right? When you have a need and a pressure to go quickly, uh, it is pretty incredible how creative you can get mm. um, when the situation arises. You must have been doing a ton of traveling. Yeah. Um, I think for two years of that six years, I was on the road for about like 45 weeks. A oh, year. my God. Yeah. And every wow. store you'd be on the ground for like two weeks for training, one week shadow. Right. And then you go back 
check your mail <laughs> and then get back on, on the, the road, plane on Monday. Then you're on the road again. Yeah, exactly. Holy moly. That's uh that's, yeah. I don't know if I could do that. I, I had a job at one point where I was flying back and forth to St. Louis. I would leave on Monday and come back on Thursday night and did that for like a year and a half. And that was enough. I, I couldn't do it it's anymore. Yeah. It was, it yeah, was tough. it's yeah. a lot for sure. So the mobile clinic, you know, kept growing and growing and growing. And then you were acquired by TELUS at, yeah. uh, for $165 million. Um, mm -hmm. what was that experience like? Uh, honestly, I, I did not imagine anything like that would, would happen. But, no. uh, as my boss used to tell me, um, or, I mean, he, he told everybody basically at the company is that, uh, TELUS purchased our company in June, 2020. So during the, the pandemic, and it wasn't the only uh, offer on the table. I, I can't say who else, uh, you yeah. know, bid for it, but uh, we were obviously doing something right. You know, we yeah. were meeting a demand uh, in the market for same day smartphone repair. As uh, Aside from that, the only other option was to send it through your carrier, right? right? And uh, we'd be gone for like two weeks, maybe you get a loaner, maybe you don't. Um, or you go to... Uh, you know, maybe a not so established, you know, kiosk in the mall or, yeah. you know, something like that. And, and, it, and it felt kind of sketchy a little bit. And, and the whole point was for us to do repairs in front of the customer. So we never took our phones in the back room or anything like that. Oh, nice. We trained our people uh, very intensely. Uh, we made sure that we always hired technicians who had the technical aptitude, but more, were more uh, uh, personable, right? Because it's yeah. a very customer facing type of environment. Um, so we focused on those things like really, really, really well. And we delivered on all of our promises. So when Telus bought the company and I was kind of over the moon, you know, uh, I, I uh, was able to pay off my debts with, with the options that I had, mm -hmm. you know, bought a ring for our, my fiance, for example, mm -hmm. uh, set some money aside. Um, and, I mean, it was still kind of the height of the pandemic and, and nobody really knew how long it was going to last, but I was working from home. I had actually never been busier in my career than during that time because most of our locations were in malls and uh, nobody's walking into a mall anymore, right? So we were we were scrambling, uh, and, and I say that as an understatement, to find ways to keep uh, repairs going because it's considered like an essential service, right? Yeah. Um, so we launched a come to you program, uh, very, very quickly where we had like literally retrofitted vans with all of our equipment in their store and had those going around, picking up phones. Uh, uh, you know, we had to get lots of different considerations like electrostatic discharge and all that kind of stuff. We had a, a mail-in program as well. So customers can mail their phones, you know, um, and with the constantly changing restrictions here in Canada, we always had to pivot, right? Uh, so sometimes you were on a lockdown, sometimes you had like uh, specific restrictions. You can only have a limited amount of customers in the store. So it was pretty challenging, but overall I I was happy. I had a secure job, I was working from home, uh, but a lot of other businesses suffered, you know, during that time. Sure, yeah. What's interesting is I'm picking up on the company's uh, mobile clinic 
didn't seem afraid to take chances, right? If you thought of an idea, you just executed on it, right? So um, what, did you have ideas that didn't work? Because so far, you know, everything sounds like everything went perfect, right? You decided we're going to start this mobile clinic. Uh, Nobody else is doing it. Great. Um, You know, we're going to do the repairs in front of people. Nobody's ever done that before. We're going to go to you to fix your phone during, during lockdown. All these things that nobody had thought of before, but were there any things that didn't work? Yeah. Um, our the second store that we opened failed pretty miserably. <laughs> <laughs> and as a business owner, when you are opening up your second locations, you have pretty high hopes. You know, um, you expected to go better than the first, and yeah, ab- absolutely, good. yeah. So when that falls flat on its face, you you got to pivot really quickly. Mm-hmm. So we actually use that um, as a strength for us. Like we always used to tell. Uh, you know, potential investors like not only do we know what works, we also know what doesn't work, uh, and we learned that really, really quickly. So I mean, there's tons of other examples that I can tell you, but sure, yeah, there were a lot of ups and downs. You know, um, I I would probably say yeah, that's that second store opening didn't really work. Uh, we had some programs that we shut down pretty quickly because they weren't gaining traction. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the great thing that uh, mobile clinic did was they focused on one core thing and it, and no matter what we launched, it didn't really let us stray from our, uh, core mission, which right. was to provide uh, reliable, quick and professional, uh, smartphone repair to all Canadians, right. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what they use their phone for, we wanted to make sure that they felt comfortable with us, that they had a sense of, uh, you know, trust and that we were educating them on how to best like maintain their phones and their batteries and things like that. And, and we never really strayed from that. I think that's what uh, gave us uh, a, a very winning edge. And also, I mean, during the time, it's not, it's, uh, you won't see this anymore, but we used to dress uh, all of our technicians in lab coats. And yeah. I swear it, it like just did something for the brand. It was sure. really cool. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Especially um, when you're you're working on something electronic, it feels like it has to be very clean, and you know, because you know, yeah, like you say, you can't have any electrostatic or yeah, uh, yeah. In, in the I still haven't seen any other companies do something like this. Does Mobile Clinic still exist, or did Tell us shut it down? Is it still no. around? Still around? Tell, okay, that's good. Mobile, mobile Clinic is uh, alive and thriving. I think they are over 150 locations today. Oh wow! And they also happen to be the largest buyer and center seller of certified pre-owned phones in the okay. country. Makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah. And are there any other competitors now? Cause I've never heard of this in the UK. I've never heard of this in the U S about, you know, the same day repair in front of you. It must just be an incredible experience for people. And I can't believe nobody else is doing it now. There are a couple of people who are doing it. So uh, there's a company called iSmash that does very similar. Oh, uh, yes, in the yes, UK. yes. Yeah. You yeah. um, Break iFix is pretty big in the US. And so is uh, Cell Phone Repair or CPR, as they call right. it. Right. Okay. Um, and there you was a there was a You Break iFix presence in Canada, but Mobile Clinic bought them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I never thought of those shops. I thought I didn't realize a lot of those places were same day. Uh, like I smash, I didn't realize that was the same day repair. I thought it was, you know, Hey, you can give us your phone. You can buy a used one. Uh, maybe it's just the way that they advertise it out front. It just seems exactly. like any other 
repair place that yeah. you, know, you can drop your phone off and come back and get it in a little while. So then yes. af after uh, the, the buyout of Mobile Clinic, you then started uh, Grind Consulting. Tell us a bit about uh, what inspired you to start that and what exactly you do to help other business owners. So during that time, uh, when everybody was just kind of settling down from the acquisition, um, I kind of looked around me and I, I didn't feel good about being successful and not being able to share those successes with uh, the people in my network, uh, my family, my friends who had struggling businesses. And, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, business, like running a business is hard on its own. When you have, uh, you know, the restrictions that COVID brought on, it, it made things incredibly difficult yeah. uh, for lots of business owners. And, um, it, it, I think I just did a little bit of introspection, just like a lot of people during that COVID time. And I asked myself, like, what, did, what do I really want to do with my life? And the mobile clinic story uh, and its success just kind of gave me the confidence that I could help something scale to this degree with pretty much no experience. Like when it, before I joined mobile clinic, I'd never really knew anything about phone repair. I was always on the sales side. Right. So to be on the technical side, to learn all of that, and to be uh, in charge of training and development by the end of my tenure um, uh, gave me the sense of confidence that I could learn anything in any industry and do well. Because mm -hmm. the things that I like to strive at is, you know, training, um, you know, uh, and motivating employees, getting them to have a little bit of ownership on the direction of the company. Um processes, uh, learning how to configure systems to, to help the business move forward. All of those skills are transferable, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it took a little while for me to kind of start consulting. So I didn't actually start until a year later and I started part-time. Uh, but by then I had, you know, uh, I mean, the news of mobile clinic being sold was kind of out. Some people had heard about what happened. So I started working with people in my network uh, immediately. And I didn't even bother coming up with the name for the firm or a website or a logo. I just told myself, okay, if I wanted to get my feet wet in this business, I need to start figuring out how to help other people, plain and simple. So like, first thing I need to do is get one or two clients under my belt. That's like mission yeah. number one. Um, and then I came up with the logo and the name and all of that kind of stuff later. Um, uh, so I specialize specifically in retail businesses who have a brick and mortar presence. Um, and for, you know, any one of those business owners who are interested in scaling their business beyond one location, I can help them do that. Okay. Um, and the way that I do that is I focus on seven key areas that, uh, affect, you know, how powerful a business will be from the get go when it comes to scaling. Um, and those are purpose. Um, so, you know, the vision of the company um, and, you know, the, what is the, what, where do they want to be, you know, five, 10 years, um, the passion of the people. So typically a business owner will, well, somebody will start a business because they're passionate about something. Mm. They love the food industry or they just really um, have some sort of uh, a knack or a skill or a talent that uh, lights them up, right? Um, then the third thing is people, um, specifically in a startup and especially in retail, when you are facing customers 
uh, directly, uh, your people will make or break the experience. And I think any one of us can probably think about an experience that was either really horrible or mm -hmm. just like kind of blew our minds because it was so good. So I think people are a big part of that formula. Uh, process is another thing, which is how you execute on all of your brand promises, right? So no matter how good your products are, uh, if it is very difficult for customers to do business with you, uh, or you can't execute really well, a lot of business will just kind of fall flat on their face. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the fourth one, uh, product and service. Uh, obviously you're, you know, you need to know what you're selling and you got to make sure that there is a demand for that, uh, priced well, so on and so forth. Uh, your plan, uh, and that's really relates to just the strategy of the company as opposed to the end goal. Um, and then the last one would be personal development. Um, especially when talking to potential clients today and other business owners, uh, the six P's that I mentioned before are all part of the company workings. But I read in a book recently that organizations will never rise higher than the level of the quality of their leadership. And right. so as a leader, if I am, for example, not always uh, trying to improve myself, developing myself, my company will never be better, right? Um, so it's the, the, the leader kind of acts as the lid for the organization. Yeah. So I think personal development is that one critical factor that's internal uh, that helps you make all of these other things better. Um, so, I mean, the, all of those things just happen to start with P, uh, but I do believe that they uh, add incredible power, uh, especially in the early days to uh, uh, for a startup. And, and how's it going so far? Uh, it's going pretty good. Um, I mean, uh, ever since I joined uh, Dan Martel's coaching group, it's gone much, much better. I'm talking to so many more people. Um, and I, I really only started full time like three, four months ago now. So it's it's been going pretty well. I am becoming more strategic in my offering. Um, I'm I'm becoming a little bit more focused on a specific niche. Um, so it's it's going pretty well considering how long I've been doing it full time. Yeah. And how would people find out more information or how to get in touch with you? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn or uh, Instagram. So you could just search for Yusuf Botros. And the LinkedIn handle is uh, Yusuf Botros with an underscore at the end. Uh, or you can visit grndconsulting.ca. Okay, grndconsulting.ca. And I'll put those in the description as well. Given your your ex your experience for scaling businesses, what would what advice would you give to um, somebody that's looking to start their own business? Um, I would I would definitely tell them to get their hands on on as much knowledge as possible. I, I don't think any of the value that I, I I don't think I would be as valuable to my clients had I not, uh, you know, put my nose in so many books to to learn all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there is a, definitely um, a value that comes from experience, uh, but sometimes you don't have to wait to get experience to learn something new. So I mean, very interestingly, when I was hiring that mobile clinic, um, I had kind of hired people in the past, but I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, much, a much better process. So I, uh, I looked for answers in books 
you know, and I got some of the uh, like key things that I do in my hiring framework come from some of the books that are right behind me here. Mm -hmm. So I would say if anybody wants to start a business, uh, definitely look for knowledge. Uh, I think uh, they need to understand what is the end goal of the business and if there will be an exit strategy or not is like really, really important to know right from the get-go um, because some people will just kind of run a business and they will not build it in a way that it is uh, sellable if, if they do want to exit. Um, so knowing that in advance helps you put uh, systems in place so that you can um, so eloquently walk away without having the business kind of fall apart. Um, and I, and I would also say that, um, they will need to find something that is an intersection between what they love, what society needs, uh, and what they're good at, because those things may not all be the same. And unless you're doing something that has those three elements, it'll be very, very difficult to be successful. You're either like, not let, like, you know, you're not going to hate your life because you don't love it, or you're not going to make money. Uh, because you're not good at it, uh, or nobody will want it because you're, you're, you're not unique, you know, or you're not solving a specific mm -hmm. problem. So, uh, I would say the last thing is, yeah, you need to go look for a problem and try to solve it. Um, that's kind of, I think why mobile clinic did so well. It was just like the right time. Uh, we grew really quickly. Uh, so we essentially, uh, were ahead of the race on, on all, uh, of the great locations that they opened in. Um, and we solved a very, very specific problem. Um, and so it was not really hard of a sell to talk to clients about. Mm, yeah. Speaking of books, you've got tons behind there. I especially like the one over your shoulder that is a body language for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they have those books for everything, don't they? Yeah. They do. But, yeah. It's well, so either book or, uh, sorry, business or leadership books, what's one book every entrepreneur should read? Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Okay. That okay. is a book that has been written like decades ago, but still relevant today. Mm. Um, anybody who is looking to grow a business is going to have to rely on people. And I think there's this misconception that business owners have that uh, when you work really hard and you grind every day, you're going to make it. And I think that is sometimes misleading because you need other people in your circle and in your company to scale it. Unless you are selling a software, I mean, even then, um, you will have to deal with people at some point in your life. And to do that and to do it well is not a skill that some people have. And I I'm still working on it every single day. A lot of the books that are written behind me here have concepts that are bit that are written in that book. So yeah. if you want it to go straight to the source, I would say How to Win Friends and Influence People is an amazing book. Um, you know, and it's not just like to it's not a book so that you can make more friends. Like I think you'll end up making more friends anyways if you apply <laughs> these principles. But it's really just about you know, how to be likable, how to gain people's trust, how to be persuasive. And everybody is a salesperson, whether they think so or not. Anytime you've tried to convince anyone of anything, you've made a sale. Yeah. You may not have made any money on it, right? Uh, but all of those elements of dealing with people, are, they're not just in business, but they're dealing, they're in your personal life too, mm. right? Um, so I would say that's probably the one book if you wanted to start. Uh, 
if you can apply those principles in the book, then success is inevitable. Yeah. Great. One more question for you. Can you share one thing you do every morning that sets you up for a successful day? Yes. Uh, I have not only, uh, uh, you know, a set of overall goals, but I have goals for the day. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, well, maybe I'll restart that question because there is one thing that I can think about that's better than that. And I always start my day, um, with reading nonfiction books. Okay. Uh, it's something that I have done for a long, long time now. And I'm one of the kind of people that I don't like uh, busy mornings. I like slow mornings. Okay. Um, so I'll typically wake up pretty early. I'll have a coffee and I will sit down with a nonfiction book of some kind. Um, and it just kind of puts me in a great mood for the rest of the day. And it just kind of fuels my whole mindset that day. And um, I would suggest that that is something that people pick up uh, because you know, they say that you are what you eat and I totally agree, but it doesn't apply to just food. Yeah. Uh, it applies <laughs> to, uh, knowledge and information. And, um, that definitely has set me apart and it just kind of, uh, I think it gives me a pretty good edge, uh, compared to, you know, some other people. Yeah, I, I usually read at night, but now that you talked about it, I probably should read in the morning because it sounds like it's almost like a warm-up exercise for your brain for the day. And a little bit, yeah. Clear, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Well, well, Yusef, thank you very, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, Andy. I really appreciate it.